91%. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Denny Kittings. My guest presenter this morning is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're talking about eating dog meat after an online ad purporting to offer canine delicacies sparked a furious response from thousands of internet users. The ad turned out to be a scam that duped potential dog meat purchasers out of more than one Hong Kong $1 million. But it's thrown the spotlight back on eating habits, which despite being banned in Hong Kong for more than 70 years, continue to see some people crave having human's best friend on their plate. And it's not just dog meat, which is sometimes still on the menu. It's only seven months since a Yaomate store owner was jailed for illegally selling feline meat. So just how big is the demand for illicit animal meat in Hong Kong? And is the tide finally beginning to turn with neighboring Shenzhen as well as Zhuhai now banning the consumption of dog and cat meat, while South Korea this week announced plans to move in the same direction? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. Later in the program, we're going to be talking with the organizers of this year's Oxfam Trailwalker, which starts on Friday. Our guests uh, for the, our main discussion this morning, we have in our Queensway studio, Fiona Woodhouse, who's Deputy Director of Welfare at the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And we have Adina Lavin, who's a member of Hong Kong Animal Law and Protection Organization. And on, joining us on the line, we have Sally Anderson, founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Back Chat. Uh, Fiona Woodhouse, maybe let's, let's go to you. For you. <laughs> you were there first. Let's, 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 go to you. let's go to you first. Well, um, the, this is a very curious affair, isn't it, where um, uh, it appears to be being used to um, uh, persuade potential uh, dog meat eaters to download an app onto their phone, which then stole money out of their bank account. So we're not so much interested in, in that side of it. What, what we're interested in is the sad reality is, is that this clearly shows there are still people who want to eat dog meat in Hong Kong, doesn't it? Um, I think you have to uh, look at the intent of the ad. Um, I'm not denying there probably is still that demand there because we have seen recent cases of a commercial sale of, of cat meat uh, back in February and also um, a, a sort of like a domestic consumption case in March. Um, but I'm not sure that we can say there's a significant demand because, again, this ad was tar targeting a scam. Um, but we do have to be aware that there is... Uh, some sort of habit among some people um, and we have to be aware of that. I mean, dog eating and cat eating has been banned legally since 1950. It wasn't instantly stopped it took a while um, and the important thing is education and enforcement so I think what we have to look at is why is this habit still continuing what can we do to uh, prevent people change their attitudes um, and also enforcement but it does make it more difficult if it's on social media but I think uh, talking about the scam side is quite interesting so maybe we'll get back to that later <laughs> well can you answer your own questions I mean why 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 does this habit continue I mean what um, um, I think, again, it's habit. So a lot of the surveys that are done around the region by a lot of the groups that are working on uh, this, this issue in the different countries show that over the years, the percentage of people who do actually uh, eat dog and cat meat um, uh, and who it would impact is gradually reducing. So there is a big change. And over the weekend, it was just announced that Korea is planning to phase out dog meat consumption by 2027. So there is a big shift, but obviously there probably is, and I hate to say it, 
probably an older population that have that habit um, and they are very difficult to, to reach with education, etc. But I think you find the younger generations generally are moving away from such habits. Right. Um, if, um, uh, hello, Fiona. If, if, if there is domestic consumption, where could these um, um, dogs come from? Because I know that in Shenzhen and Zhuhai, there is also a, a legal ban. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think the big issue here is um, online transactions, social media, um, online selling platforms. It's quite easy to order um, such products online um, and then obviously it's a case of getting into them into Hong Kong and unfortunately there is a lot of channels that people can do that either by directly carrying it in um, or uh, getting somebody else to ship it in for you. So again we need to look at these issues at the border, at, um, educating people, doing more to border checking, um, having some of the detector dogs, looking at the samples um, and also requesting that people who travel from Hong Kong to the mainland do not engage in food tourism and do not bring such products back. And if they see such products on sale in Zhuhai and Shenzhen, please report it to the authority. Should there still be such products in Zhuhai and Shenzhen if they banned dog meat now? Uh, no, because it's been banned. You, 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 you mentioned the possibility, didn't you, right? Yeah, again it's, again, it's very difficult. It's banned in Hong Kong, and obviously we've seen cases <laughs> where people offer it for sale. But to be able to enforce the law, you need to know that that is happening, so you need to report. And again, it's very important, I think, from a case perspective, um, to report it to the authorities so they can do the investigation and follow up the case, because sometimes cases can be disturbed by people uh, putting it on social media, um, uh, sort of sending out, and then the, the culprits are aware and suddenly all the evidence will disappear. So it's very important to report the cases to the relevant authorities, collect some evidence while you're there, but, um, you know, don't spread it too wide, otherwise the authorities won't be able to find the uh, culprits and uh, and the evidence they need to secure a conviction. Now, also with us on Queen's Choice Studio is Adina Lavin, a uh, member of the Hong Kong Animal Law and Protection Organisation. Good morning. Um, just now, um, Fiona... Uh, Fiona Woodhouse was talking about career and you were nodding um, um, when, when she mentioned that. Uh, we'll have uh, someone joining us from Seoul later on to talk specifically about that. But um, is, is that an encouraging sign that things are going in the right direction in, in the region and about the dog, eat, dog, eat, dog meat eating? Yes. Uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you for having me on, of course. And yeah, it's very exciting to see with South Korea actually making a commitment to banning dog meat by 2027. And the reason it seems, I mean, it does seem like it's so far out, but the reason it's taking a couple of years is they're actually going through the steps to encourage and make sure that those that are in the trade are absolutely allowed to transfer over into another type of industry that would allow them to continue on with their you know, normal income because unfortunately people do have this as their income and they shouldn't be subjected to no longer having any you know, salary just because that there is a change in the culture. So Korea is helping in that way. And so this is something that maybe other countries and cultures can take heed to is in a way of when we transition older generations and understandings from past into the new understanding and new cultural um, manifests that we support them in this change, right? We can't just kind of pull the rug out from underneath them. We actually need to educate and show them there is a new way that they can still continue their livelihood in the modern day without having to necessarily hurt um, cats and dogs in this case as we're talking about. 
Yes, I mean, uh, just now Fiona Waterhouse was talking about the uh, generational divide. As far as I understand, in Korea, it's, that's a very strong issue that um, it's a, it's a younger generation often keep dogs as pets, while the, old, the older generation still perhaps um, uh, crave eating dog meat from time to time. Yeah, and it's still very much in your smaller rural areas where there's just lack of um, awareness and understanding, and it's not, there isn't so much of options, I would say, in back from when they were younger and understanding where they came from and why they went into the trade in the first place. So now as they're getting more educated and they have younger generations that are teaching them as well, there's a change. And so that's a big part of it. And it's really important that they listen to their also younger generations for once, which not everybody always does. Uh, let's bring in the uh, third of our guests in the first segment of the discussion, uh, Sally Anderson, uh, founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue, who I think you might have heard one of her many dogs barking in the background just now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good morning, Sally Anderson. You have, what, 100 dogs? Uh, something like that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever worry, I mean, this is a serious question, do you ever worry about any of them being um, kidnapped um, uh, by people who, who want to use them for dog meat? No, no. no I, I, I think that uh, the, the, um, the people that still eat dogs in Hong Kong, which, which I think is, is still done in certain places, they're the sort of um, far north, you know, new territories, villages, um, not it's not a general thing, um, and and I agree that it is it is the older people who, for whom it's it's like well that's what we always do you know black dogs in the winter, um, but obviously that's going to that's going to die out naturally as um, but I I think also that there's there's always a, a, the the thrill of doing something that's illegal that's always going to happen I mean. You know, drugs are illegal, but people take drugs. Other things that are illegal, people do it. And sometimes just for the novelty, for the thrill of of doing something that, that they're not supposed to do. Um, for example, the, you know, the Yulin Dog Festival. It, it's a tourist attraction. You know, people go there to try dog meat that they wouldn't normally do. So there's, there's that aspect too, I think, that... Um, the novelty factor, the, the daring, and I, I don't know how you eradicate that, but I think that's probably a small part of it. Is it yeah, um, we, if you look at the scam, um, you know, people are still craving uh, dog meat, well, at least uh, a few of them, uh, in, in such a way that um, they would deposit money and they would download the app, and so they lost money at the end. Um, very large amounts of money. Very large amounts. So do, do, do you think that this, this sort of craving uh, will continue um, despite, um, you know, the banning of um, dog meat, selling of dog meat? For me, uh, um, I, think, I think novelty um, is always going to be attractive to some, certain, certain people who just want to do something different. The people who will eat tiger meat or all the exotic meats um there'll always be those people who, who, who seem to think that it's you know um special and funny and exciting to do all of those things and i don't think you can ever eradicate that from human nature 
So you're sound. Well, you say you don't think you can ever eradicate it from human nature. You're sounding like you're suggesting it's something that can never be stamped out entirely. No, no, I don't think it will be stamped out entirely. But I, I think that it, it definitely. I mean, the whole dog owning culture and the way people in in Hong Kong, I'm talking, the, the way people feel about dogs and um, and their pets in general ha- has changed dramatically over the past decade, say, and and in the recent years. So dog eating, it will definitely not be um, something that's commonly done, but I don't think you'll ever be able to stamp out any of those um, those types of uh, thing behaviours entirely just because they're human, you know, so there'll always be a craving for something different. Were you encouraged by the public? Resp- I mean, we talk about, I mean, this, this, this scam ad, um, it shows that some people um, still want to eat dog meat and there were victims. Uh, there have only been uh, nine victims reported, although it's quite possible, of course, others uh, try, try to, um, uh, to, to buy the meat but then uh, were careful and didn't actually get caught by the scam. But by contrast, uh, you have uh, thousands of people who, um, who uh, tagged the original Facebook post and uh, were reporting it to the authorities and so on. It seems to be quite a strong... Um, uh, backlash on the internet when this when this, this this whole thing first came up is that is that an encouraging sign um sally anderson oh yes definitely and, and i think that we i mean we see it not just in the dog meat uh, eating but also people you know members of the public who report um cruelty cases or you know just what they see as dogs being badly treated and things like that people will call it in and, and, you know, try to get something done. So the, it, the public are really very aware and, and um, in the main, are very much against animal cruelty and, of course, that includes eating, eating of dogs and cats. Um, If I might chip in, this is uh, quite a complex topic. And as Sally says, and as we see, um, the backlash is quite, um, uh, it's, well... I think people think it's an excellent thing that people care so much, but the issue is that actually some of these scams on social media require people to engage and to uh, spread the post and to watch whatever it is or sign up. So some of these people who are scammed may have been trying to themselves identify who the culprit was. Um, And there is a group, a coalition of animal welfare groups called Asia for Animals that have a social media animal cruelty uh, coalition that works on this, working with different platforms. And the key messages are be aware about this topic, report it. Don't watch anything that you see because people monetize this. Every time somebody watches a video on uh, some of the platforms, they get monetary. Um, Don't engage with the people and don't share it because the more you share, the more you engage, uh, the more views they get um, and they do monetize these. So there are many different forms of animal cruelty or abuse that you can see online. So it is a very, very complex issue and some of these people actually... Uh, capitalising on the fact that it is a very emotive subject that a lot of people care about. Um, But you do have to be very, very careful around this subject on the different social media platforms. Sounds like you're saying that we should uh, almost be um, expect more scams like this to uh, to appear in future, Fiona Woodhouse. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the scammer was just trying to get you to download the app that then took over your phone, right? So people bought noodles. Probably people were trying to get online to inquire about buying the dog meat to try and find out where it is. And once you've downloaded the app, then obviously, you know, they got control of your phone. So be very careful about these these sort of things because, again, these 
downloading the app is different. Obviously, there are other social media that you can see, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, etc. All of them have quite a lot of negative uh, content with regards to animal um, abuse and cruelty online. Yeah, and, and there's another twist uh, to this. Um, uh, the scammer played a very cruel joke on a Hong Kong homeless dog shelter uh, by providing the um, FPS of the shelter to the people. And um, and I, I don't know what happened, but, but uh, why, why would uh, somebody do something like that? Could anyone uh, suggest? No idea. Absolutely no idea. I mean, I think that's the same type of question of why would somebody hurt an animal and why would somebody in the first place participate in dog meat or cat meat trade? We don't really understand the motivations of someone that can participate in something that we, in general, as a society, deem as something so far out that we wouldn't ever dream of even thinking is possible. So that I, to understand the motivations of someone like that is... I don't think we want to go into mm. that corner. Okay, we're discussing uh, the consumption of uh, dog meat and indeed um, cat meat as well in Hong Kong on the back of um, a um, what proved to be a scam ad, an online ad um, purporting to sell dog meat in Hong Kong. Turned out to be a scam, but uh, tricked um, victims out of more than uh, $1 million um, before it was exposed. Um, if you have any thoughts, uh, do uh, email us at backchat on RTHK. You go to our Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there, or you can call us on 233 Let me bring in a couple of uh, comments coming in from uh, listeners. Uh, first of all, Hugh says, hearing this news was so cheering. Perhaps like-minded scammers can do more of these and donate part of their ill-gained loots to animal charities. We have several representatives of animal charities here today. Great to see Hong Kong ingenuity targeting inhumane habits. Uh, and a slightly longer message from Ian. Ian says, um, have we learned nothing from previous attempts at eating non-farmed animals? The bat-pangolin-snake experiment didn't work out so well for a few million world citizens, including the vulnerable like my father, despite the millions spent and wasted on efforts to contain the consequences. Wet markets are the saddest places to see protein on sale. Their time should be long over in the 21st century. As for apps for everything, seems we still haven't learned that technology is not always our friend. Sadly, neither are many of our fellow humans. Caveat emptor, people get what they deserve. Thank you very much, Ian. Um, if, if, um, Sally Anderson, how, how about that point that, I mean, we, we talk about sort of um, uh, uh, banning of consumption of dog meat in terms of how sort of unsavory it is, but the sort of the um, uh, potential health consequences and spread of disease as well? I don't know that dog meat's any different from any other meat in in those terms. Um, so in that case, what 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 is ultimately the rationale for banning it? <laughs> well, I mean, you're talking to someone who doesn't eat any meat, so you know, for for me, I can say, I mean, yes, um, I, it, it's just that uh, you know, dogs are and have always been human companions. I mean, that's that's the difference. Um, so that I suppose that's what you know in countries and places where people do eat meat, they 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 would say the same. What's the difference between eating a dog and eating a cow, eating a pig? They're all the same. They're all animals. Um, I think it's just the relationship uh, between dogs and humans that's been you know part of um, the way that we lived for so many thousands of years. 
Uh, do, would perhaps would our other guests like to comment? I mean, um, we, we eat rabbits. Uh, rabbits are very <laughs> cute. I mean, but a rabbit is you can get rabbit in English pubs and so on. So. I think, as Sally's mentioned, some of our some of our sort of uh, sliding scale of morality has to do with our relationship and how we feel. Uh, about the different animals, so our sort of personal relationship. But um, from uh, the perspective of dog and cat meat trade, especially in a, a sort of a, a context excluding South Korea where they did actually have dog meat farms, a lot of the issue is the source of these animals. Quite often they're stolen, uh, picked up off the street or just uh, randomly uh, sort of taken away, sometimes darted with sedatives. Um, there's no uh, sort of national um, recognition as dogs and cats as livestock under the Chinese legislation. So we're talking about China. Um, and obviously in terms of health and safety, um, all the other food animals, farm animals go through this health and safety process. Um, so there really is none of those safeguards in terms of the source of the animal supply chain, um, uh, food safety, etc. If you're getting very back to the reductionist thing and there are massive welfare issues um, involved in this trade. So those are some of, his, some of the issues. And historically, um, uh, in Hong Kong, the dog meat trade was directly linked to rabies outbreaks. And there have been many studies that have shown that some of the dogs have actually have been found to have rabies, um, sort of antibodies uh, found when they've been tested by some of the groups. So they were originally, originally they were very direct health issues then? Um, yeah, and there still are, definitely. Um, interestingly enough, uh, you can look at some of the, the demographics of rabies um, uh, sort of uh, uh, casualties, if you like. And generally, your average sounds all horrible, but um, it's younger children, um, sort of uh, 9 to 15 or so, that become victims of rabies. But in China, it's middle-aged people. And you do wonder why the demographics are slightly different. Is it because of the population demographics or is there some issue where the middle-aged population are coming into contact with some exposure to rabies that doesn't happen in other countries. Uh, what, what about feline meat? Um, is this more rare uh, for people to actually want to try uh, cat meat? Um, I think uh, there's still a large uh, trade in cats for meat. Um, uh, there was a very big seizure recently in China um, with a big truck, um, again, seized on the basis of uh, food security and health certification. Um, so in China, there is a policy position that lists livestock um, and there is a ban on commercial slaughter, but there's a gray area in many areas about consumption. Uh, from my understanding. And it's only Zhuhai and Shenzhen that at the moment have banned, explicitly banned the consumption of cat and dog meat. Um, but no, there is still the, the trade or that, that uh, area. And that's an issue for free roaming cats because they can just be picked up and taken away. Okay, that's similar to what you were saying about dogs as well, though, in China. That I mean, that, um, and I think I read that uh, in the vast majority of, of dogs um, that we consumed in China are just stolen from people's backyards or snatched from the streets, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a problem. You cannot trace a source, right? It's completely underground and regulated. So there is that issue that you'll get stolen dogs and cats. You see videos of it where people have had their people going into yards, just taking the dogs away, sometimes darting. Um, so there are issues there. But yeah, uh, earlier on, uh, very much, maybe we'll just come back to uh, uh, Sally Anderson, who's a, who, who will have to go in a moment. But um, you, you don't fear that happening here in Hong Kong with your 100 dogs, do you, Sally Anderson? No, no, no. Not, not at all, no. I, I think it, it's really very, very, um, a, a very small issue here and, and only in certain parts of Hong Kong. I don't, it's not a general, um, general problem. 
Whereas we were saying in China, it is still it, that 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 kind of thing is a problem, and people. Oh pet- well, I mean, you you, you yes, but, I mean, you see images of photos of you know these, these trucks packed with um, with dogs and cats. Really, very disturbing to see it, you know. And um, yes, it's it's a, it's it's really a horrible situation. And there's a different, I mean, we'll be talking about Korea after we break for the news, but in Korea where they have these dog farms, whereas in mm. China it seems to be more that they just snatched off the street and so on. It uh, seems to be, yes. I think, um, I, I mean, I'm not sure which is, <laughs> which is worse. They're both equally um, upsetting, you know, to, to just um, know that this is going on. But um, it, it does seem to be a different a different kind of trade, yes. And I would say that this isn't just a a local issue, this is also a regional issue in some of the other Mm. countries around Asia as well. Okay, well that's precisely sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but we have to take a break for the news, but we're going to, that's precisely what we're going to turn to after the news we'll look at the regional issue, and we're going to say goodbye to uh, Sally Anderson, the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue, and uh, leave her with her 100 dogs on on Lama, Uh, but uh, other guests will remain, and we'll continue the discussion after the news. Uh, If you have any thoughts do email us at backchat at HK, or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, comment there. Later on, we'll also be hearing about Trail Walker, which starts on uh, Friday. The weather forecast is going to be fine, dry during the day. Temperature's going to rise to 26 degrees. Currently, 22 degrees, relative humidity 71%. It's 9.30. Here's Hayley with the news. A secondary school principal says the poor results in the latest territory-wide exams reflects the lack of face-to-face teaching time during the COVID pandemic. Dion Chen, chairman of the Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council, says the TSA results, which measure Chinese, English and maths, at the primary three, six and secondary three levels, are similar to the downward trends seen in international scores. He said he believes students would be able to catch up. At least 500 employees of the pioneering artificial intelligence company OpenAI have threatened to quit over the sacking of the CEO Sam Altman. In a letter, they protested against the way he and his fellow co-founder Greg Brockman were dismissed. The United States says Feel has reached Gaza following Israel's announcement on Sunday that it would allow supplies to support non-governmental organizations. Meanwhile, the president of the International Committee of the Red Cross has traveled to Qatar where he's believed a deal is nearing over the release of hostages taken from Israel by Hamas on October the 7th. Those are the headlines. I'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Improving district administration and reforming district councils matter to the well-being of us all and are essential to the good governance of Hong Kong. Candidates who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and the community, please strive to win the valuable votes from the voters. Voters, please cast your vote on December 10th. Pick your preferred candidate. Let's build a nice and harmonious community together. Cast your vote at DC election on December 10th for a better community. The Chief Executive's 2023 policy address seeks to enhance the growth impetus of our economy and our well-being. We will press ahead with major infrastructure projects and different industries, attract top-notch enterprises and talent, develop Hong Kong as an international hub for higher education, and cultivate local technical professionals. We will promote childbearing and take good care of the elderly. We will protect our health and build our home together. A vibrant economy for a caring community. This policy address belongs to each of us.
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Ada Wong. In the second half of the show, we're going to be initially continuing our discussion about uh, consumption of dog meat in Hong Kong and indeed across the region on the back of um, uh, this scam that emerged at the weekend um, targeting um, uh, buyers of um, uh, uh, dog meat who actually lost quite a lot of money as a result. Um, but also the news that um, South Korea is going to um, uh, ban uh, um, uh, consumption of dog meat through um, the law. I think it's planned to be in place by the end of this year, although the ban won't take place until later. Uh, later on, uh, we're also going to be um, talking about Oxfam Trail Walker, which uh, starts um, on Friday. Um, if you have any thoughts on either of these topics, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free. Our guests, as we continue the discussion, are still with us in our Queensway studio. We have Fiona Woodhouse from the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and Adina Lavin from uh, Hong Kong Animal Law and Protection Organization. We're now also joined on the line by Alex Jensen. Alex Jensen is a soul based journalist and broadcaster. Um, Mr. Jensen, good morning. Welcome to Backchat. Yeah, good morning to you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us from Seoul. And I mean, of course, we, we so far in the first half of the show, we've been talking about dog meat in, uh, in Hong Kong. But I think the big news really uh, this week or, or this, this, this couple of weeks is in South Korea, isn't it? Well, I mean, this debate's been going on for years, hasn't it, in South Korea? You tell us, but uh, finally they seem to have reached a conclusion. Yes, I mean, there have been legal steps taken and some confusing messages as well. I mean, we've had court rulings in the past uh, in some limited capacity uh, moving towards a ban on dog meat in Korea, but it's continued to occupy either full legal or grey legal status, if you like, and it's basically continued take you to dog meat restaurants in Seoul without any problem. And if you were inclined to do so, I could serve you um, a dog meat broth today if you wanted to. Um, so it wouldn't be that difficult. But on the other hand, I don't want to give the impression that those sorts of establishments are everywhere. They are fairly rare. Uh, I think polling has shown that uh, less than one in 10 Koreans say they've tried dog meat. Of course, polls are polls and perhaps not everybody wants to admit to that. Um, but it, it's a phasing out among older generations and younger people are growing up with a country that largely dogs as companion animals and not livestock. I guess that's the fundamental issue here, uh, following many other countries around the world culturally as well. So let's be clear about what is changing, right? They're going to introduce a, um, a law banning uh, dog meat consumption, as far as I understand, by the end of this year, but then there will be a free uh, grace period. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, again, this is um, uh, we're losing, uh, you, which uh, means the president Yoon Sung Yeol, as well as the um, uh, ruling party. Sorry, is there a problem with the line? I just yeah, heard so you just, say you're yeah, losing so me there for a second. Now, uh, it's, it's much better now. Can please continue? Okay, yeah. Apologies for that. Uh, Korea is supposed to have a very good uh, internet connection, so there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, we are in a situation where this is taking a very definitive step compared with all those half measures that we saw before where it was still possible to drive around the countryside and see dog farms and possible as i said before 
uh, to find dog meat restaurants. Now we're talking about banning uh, dog meat, um, and there would be a three-year grace period. That is because the reason there's been resistance in the past has been largely from uh, the industry itself, from farmers. They've had to endure uh, the decline of their industry in recent years, but not the disappearance of it. So, for example, large dog meat markets have have been shut down, but things have continued to operate on a on a limited scale. Uh, but but they will have this three-year period to completely wind down their operations and move into other sectors, other types of farming. Uh, I must say, you know, it's not just about um, people having sympathies towards dogs as companion animals. I think it's also been largely um, noted globally that there are great concerns about dog meat farming. Um, they are often caged. Uh, anyone who has gotten to know of pet dogs know that to be remotely satisfied i guess okay. no animal is going to be remotely satisfied being paged for its whole life okay um stay, stay with us but we may just try and check your phone line because you still are cutting out occasionally despite in, um, south korea's uh, great internet connections uh, let's go to uh, fiona woodhouse who i know has to um leave very shortly um just how significant is this development out of south korea fiona woodhouse um i think it's very very significant because obviously it, it does set a message to some of the other countries who are trying to move forward with their own uh sort of process of of banning the trade um, as, so it does really sort of set the bar there. The more uh, sort of countries that take this step, the more it is easy for uh, people to to see that and to see that it is possible. Um, and obviously with Korea, it's different because they do have this sort of system where there are farms, etc. Um, but in some of the other countries, it's not so uh, sort of segmented or it's not such a developed industry so we do have to sort of look at how that can translate into other countries and the important thing obviously is is um as we've talked about is su supporting or recognizing that that is that some people do have this as part of their business so we need to look at that and address that issue because sometimes the trade is where the resistance come from so it depends how strong the trade lobby is as well Hmm. And before the news break, you mentioned that um, this is also a regional issue. So apart from Korea, um, what about other countries in Asia? What about Southeast Asia? Do, um, do they have the culture of, um, you know, dog yeah, meat the, eating? There are pockets. So, um, you know, there is sort of areas in Indonesia um, where that is that is a cultural thing. Um, the Philippines, although dog eating has been banned there, there still is the cultural sort of tendency. Obviously, places like Vietnam, uh, Laos, Cambodia, etc. It has been banned in other countries. So, as I say, the Philippines does have a ban, but enforcement, you know, really, really needs to strengthen to eliminate it. Taiwan, uh, Thailand and Malaysia also have bans. So there are bans in different countries. But the key thing is, I think it's recognizing what the pockets of resistance are and how to get into those pockets of resistance, educating, changing behavioral patterns um, and enforcement where there is legislation. And what about Western countries? Um there's no culture of um, dog eating, or was there? Um, I, it's difficult to say. I would say, you know, uh, there have been some areas where potentially dog, cult, 
dog eating was culturally present. But again, the the uh, sort of ethical basis of a lot of countries in the West actually does not tolerate it. And so whilst there may not be legislation in those countries that explicitly bans the consumption of dog and cat meat, public opinion, the court of public opinion is very strong um, and it would not be tolerated in any measure. So actually social pressure is, is the thing, the education, the social uh, sort of norm is what exists in those other countries. Uh, uh, Dina Lavin, you're nodding. In fact, you were the one who initially said we need, we need to look at the, um, the, the regional implications and, and, so, and we are, so, I mean, even beyond the region. So um, what, what are your thoughts on this broader perspective? When it comes to laws versus the cultural acceptance, laws don't always change behavior and stop us from something, right? We can ban anything. I mean, again, look at drugs. Doesn't mean you're going to stop the consumption of it. Until you, there's a societal change and cultural shift in it, you can all, the people are still going to be trying to look at this type of consumption of dog meat and cat meat. For example, I mean, in the U.S., most people probably wouldn't know this, but 44 states, it's completely legal to consume dog meat. Dog meat is just not allowed for commercial consumption and trade. But privately, totally illegal. It's totally legal. Oh, but so you, you can eat dog meat in, the, in most parts of the U.S. 44 then. states, it's completely legal. Privately trade and you can do that. You can have dog meat. You could actually bring a dog carcass to your butcher and have them prepare it for you. That so, is legal in the U.S., but so we society. Talk about sort of a, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> interesting, right? Yes, interesting. We talk about sort of how backward some Asian societies are, where they 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 still permit this. But um, you're saying, well, in the U.S., it's it's actually uh, across most of the country. Um, it, that, let's go back to Alex Jensen and pick up on that point about how uh, laws by themselves can't change things. I mean, you're going to have a law in South Korea, but are the older generation in South Korea still going to want to eat dog, Alex Jensen? Um, quite possibly, yes. But I think the the situation here is not that the law is trying to change behaviour, but rather people's behaviours are helping to guide the law. Um, and I, I must say that while there are certain traditions here that will persist, for example, on the hottest days of summer, it's uh, customary to either eat dog meat or, for example, uh, samgyetang, a chicken soup with ginseng. Um, and perhaps during those traditional times of year, there'll still be some demand for dog meat. It is falling steadily. And uh, as the generations move on, I, I think that even without this law, it would continue to wane. But government statistics still show that there are more than a thousand dog meat farms in the country. So still um, right now, supply to, to meet that demand. And it's difficult to see that completely disappear in in three years uh, what what I would love to see happen at least in those three years is better inspections of those farming facilities because um, you know some people put the argument forward well you know what's the difference between a pig and a dog and I'm, I'm not here to make that uh, case myself but um, what I would say is that uh, many advocates for free-range farming would be horrified by the conditions that, that dogs are raised in Korea uh, in these cages uh, in these brutal environments and sometimes with the torture that accompanies the killing, there has been a tradition in the past, but of course this kind of thing can't always be verified. There's been a tradition in the past, and I've seen video evidence of it, that torture enhances the health properties of the meat. And you know, it's a horrible myth that has led to much animal suffering. Uh, you said, and you said a, a fa more than a thousand dog farms, there's looking at statistics saying over half a million dogs raised for meat. So that really gives you an idea of the, the, the scale of the, the demand still in South Korea, Alex Jensen. 
Yeah, well, yes. Um, it, it's very difficult, I think, to get an exact idea of these numbers. I mean, to give you a, a picture, you might be driving through the countryside and suddenly you'll see up on a hillside cages. And, and as you approach... You, you'll notice that there are maybe several dozen dogs inside. I've never seen with my own eyes a dog meat farm with thousands and thousands of dogs there. Uh, they, they, the ones that I've seen have been usually smaller operations, but I have seen markets where there have been many, many dogs. And it's honestly heartbreaking. Um, the, heartbreaking for me as a dog owner, but I think also... As I suggested before, the conditions they're being raised in, I think any animal under those circumstances, uh, it, it's difficult to witness. Uh, as for the demand, well, you know, we're now seeing president after president with their own pet dogs, politicians parading their dogs. Any neighborhood around the country is now increasingly dog friendly as a pet. Yes, there were dog pets for decades uh, and, and longer here, but um, there's less of this distinction of, oh, there are certain dogs for dog meat and certain dogs for pets that's become a much grayer argument than when I first arrived in Korea when uh, about 13 years ago people used to definitively say well the dogs that are eaten are very different to the dogs that uh, are kept as pets but now that more and more um, activist groups are taking those dogs out of cages and and taking them to other countries for adoption um, or, or at least for better care um, I think people are starting to realize that they really are just dogs Right. And the different political parties in South Korea uh, are all aligned on this move to ban uh, commercial consumption of dog meat? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say everybody's aligned. There are, of course, you know, slightly more rural lobbies that might be uh, more um, protective of, of all kinds of farmers uh, when it comes to agricultural issues, including this one, even though uh, steps have been taken to remove dogs from general livestock criteria. But what I would say is that um, you look at the last two presidents uh, disagreeing on almost every issue, but not on dog meat. Uh, they've, they've both been very sympathetic towards dogs, um, President Yoon Sung-yeol now and before him, President Moon Jae-in. Okay, we're going to have to wrap up this discussion. Before we go, let's, uh, let's just go back to our guests in Queensway who've been with us from the beginning, uh, Fiona Woodhouse and Adina Lavin. Uh, Korea, this is a big achievement, isn't it? Uh, so um, what, what, what's, what's, the next what's the next target? We mentioned various countries um, before. What, what, what's the next big one? Is it the rest of China? Because I mean, I know the bans in some parts of China, but not as a whole. Um, uh, Adina Lavin? China would be great if you could get Let's start with just animal abuse laws nationwide, <laughs> and then we'll get to the dog meat trade nationwide. Um, obviously, being in Hong Kong, um, China would be great. They do have that uh, list of livestock, etc. So there is some policy direction there, and there are other legislation such as food safety, etc. So um, looking at, at that, and, uh, and again, definitely sort of some uh, animal cruelty legislation, etc. as well. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much to our guests in this discussion. That, that was Fiona Woodhouse, uh, Deputy Director of Welfare of the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and Adina Lavin, who's a member of the Hong Kong Animal Law and Protection Organization. And joining us on the phone from Seoul is Alex Jensen, who's a Seoul based journalist and broadcaster. Stay with us. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned, Stay tuned. with Hong Kong.
You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. In the closing segment of this morning's show, we're going to look ahead to Oxfam Trailwalker. Yes, it's that time of year again. Oxfam Trailwalker is one of the largest fundraising sports events in the city. It's going to start this um, uh, coming Friday, uh, and there are um, uh, more than 2,000 first-time participants, which is apparently the highest ratio ever, and a wide range of ages, uh, the oldest being 82 years old. I hope I can still do something like that when I'm 82. Uh, joining us uh, to tell us more about this year's Trailwalker is Michael Wong, who is Director of Fundraising and Communications at Oxfam. Uh, good morning, Mr. Wong. Welcome to Back Chat. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> now, you've got a lot of newcomers in this year's uh, Trail Walker, haven't you, right? And I know there's some advice being given to that. I mean, they, some of them might not quite realise what they've, they've let themselves in for, right? Well, uh, they are mentally prepared, I think, and most importantly, physically prepared because I'm out on trails and I see a lot of them actually training hard and a lot of people come to us for advice. So I think they, are, they should be fine. They should they should be able to enjoy the trail. And it's, uh, it's really good weather looking forward. Uh, so I think it'll be a good uh, walk for them. Yeah. Um, Michael Wong, how long do you need to train uh, before you can actually do the 100 kilometers? We advise about uh, five months. Um, so um, usually uh, it, um, we advise that they uh, walk uh, at night as well and uh, over the weekends and uh, Probably the last two trainings, we would suggest that they do extended distances, like probably like uh, 10, 12 hours or even longer if they can. Um, it's important to get the body acclimatized to walking for 30 or 40 hours. So uh, longer training at the latter part of the period would be really beneficial. Now, of course, um, hiking became incredibly popular in the pandemic, didn't it? Is, is, do you think there's some sort of connection here with having so many um, first-time participants and so many new people trying try trail walker now? Yeah, uh, we think we are really glad. Uh, we think that um, it's been, we've been off for four years, unfortunately, due to COVID. And people have been curious about, uh, about trail walker. So a lot of the old-timers, they have actually moved on to something else. Um, and now we are seeing the new blood coming in, so we are really excited about this. I think it uh, is uh, great for us because we are grooming, so-called grooming, the next generation of uh, trail walkers. And I think it's also because um, Hong Kong's uh, country parks are so fantastically managed, uh, beautiful scenery, easily accessible, and people are just attracted to them. Right. Um, I uh, I understand that, you know, we see older people, retired people joining the race as newcomers as well as the younger ones. So, um, you know, what, what sort of uh, danger and worry should, should we have uh, for, for the sort of more senior uh, participants? Well, um, we are not particularly concerned uh, because uh, a lot of the more senior walkers there actually have years of experiences and it's probably not their first time. But uh, just in case, uh, we do have a lot of safety procedures. Now, actually, over the trail, we have over 600 medical care people on the trail looking after any kind of injuries. Now, there are, uh, there are rescue teams all across uh, all the hilltops and all the strategic places. Uh, we have uh, the ambulances and helicopters uh, standing by in case there's any emergency. Uh, and, of course, we have uh, people, uh, the street team following the walkers. So I think... Um, um, we are very concerned about safety. Of course, safety is number one. But uh, we think that um, um, they, uh, the, uh, the workers will have uh, prepared well and there's enough facilities, we think, 
to support any kind of um, injury or emergency. Right. And now I, I do know two teams personally. They are first-timers. They are retired teachers and principals. And, um, and, you're, you're and, not and, joining and, them. And I'm certainly not one of them, and I'm not retired. But the thing is, you know, uh, two of them told me that, oh, I think I should be okay because I've done a marathon. So, Michael Wong, um, you know, how different it is, uh, you know, this trail walker uh, from, from a marathon? Well, uh I have done trail walkers 17 times, so I'll speak from my own experience. Uh, but I've not done a trail, I've not done a marathon. I think uh, it's more relaxed because um, um, you are not trying to complete like 42 kilometers within like five hours or something. So there is time for you to rest if you need. And um, and of course, uh, trail walker is also a very uh, team experience whereby it's not just the four of you. There's also all your support team who will meet you at certain checkpoints and they'll pamper you, look after you, help you with your equipment and so on. So I feel that it's, it's a very joyous event. Uh, it, you're celebrating the doing fundraising, you're walking for yourself, you're walking for the team, you're walking with your friends. So uh, the experience I feel is uh, entirely different from a marathon, where, which is much more of a personal challenge from um, so I'll say uh, trail walker. I like I've done it so many times because it's such a celebration. Yeah, uh, if you know what I mean. You've done it seventeen times. You must know the route by almost by heart. Uh, t- t- tell us what what are, what, are the, what are the easiest and the most difficult sections. It it starts, doesn't it, in Pak Tam Chung, uh, just up, up above uh, Saikung. You've got to make your way all the way over to Tun Moon. Yeah, uh, for me the first three sections are difficult. Uh, the Saikung sections. Uh, because it's up and down, up and down, but the scenery is fantastic. I think uh, there's nowhere else in Hong Kong that which has such beautiful scenery. And then uh, af- uh, after Tai Mo Shan, it's all downhill all the way, so that's the nice and easy part. Once you get to the top of Tai Mo Shan, you say to yourself, yes, I've, done- I've completed all the hills, and it's downhill all the way. So, um, so that part is really fun, and you can kind of let go of yourself and and you probably have some of your friends walking with you as well, you know, because it's an easier part. So that's what you really want in any kind of endurance event. It's the the, the, the first part is the toughest, right? It sounds like the first part's the toughest, and then um, it, it becomes less difficult when you're perhaps exhausted or, or, on the later part, right, Michael Wong? Yes, <laughs> yes that's right. <laughs> but I do know that uh, when people arrive at Taimushan, it's already dark, in particular, you know, at this sort of time, uh, late November. So um, is it more dangerous uh, to, to actually, you know, uh, get to Taimushan when it is dark? Um, actually, the Taimushan stage is actually quite easy because it's paved road all the way to the end. The last 25 kilometers are all paved road. Um, um, the difficult part, especially at night, would be probably stage three and stage four, which is the, right after the Mansan stage, uh, when you're walking the trail at night. For me, I do it in about 30-ish hours. So my first night is actually along, uh, along uh, um, uh, the stage three and stage four. Uh, but I've done it so many times during practice. So it does, uh, and I actually enjoy walking at night anyway. It's cooler. It's, uh, uh, you, enjoy the, you enjoy the sound and, and a bit of the sights as well. Because when you're up in Taiwan, you look one way. One side is Saikong, the other side is uh, Sha Tin. It's just beautiful scenery. And then you enjoy the quietness of the night. Yeah. So um, the night walking for me has, was not an issue at all, except for not having enough sleep. 
Uh, now we must remember another very important aspect of um, of trail walk is fundraising, isn't it? I mentioned it's the uh, yeah. one of the largest fundraising sports events in the city, and indeed um, you're actually the director of fundraising and communications at Oxfam. Um, just how much money do you hope to raise from Trail Walker? Now uh, we are setting a target of thirty million, uh, which is uh, which we uh, it ought of uh, it depends on the on the sentiment of the uh, of the walkers who who participate but um in the past uh, uh, the walkers have been very generous so we are hoping for uh, for this amount uh, as well this year so my calculation says you're hoping for an average of a thousand dollars a walker or something like that uh yes that's right roughly yes and you presumably have to, i mean you have teams that are sort of outperform in terms of fund i mean previous trail walkers i mean how much money have some teams raised Oh, uh, there are a few teams that raise over $1 million. Uh, we are very appreciative for what they do for poverty alleviation. Amazing. And um, in the past, I heard that there are people who actually want to come to Hong Kong, you know, from all parts of the world to participate in Trail Walker. Do we see these um, runners uh, or walkers this year? Yeah, uh, there are about 50 teams from mainland China and about roughly 40-ish teams from the rest of the world, from Singapore, from the United States, from Canada, Australia, and so on. And and the reason for that is we have trail walkers across the world. There are 14 trail walkers in eight countries all, uh, uh, all around the world, and uh, some of them would have heard of our Hong Kong trail walker, which is the ultimate, considered the ultimate trail walker in this, uh, in this uh, world series, so to speak. Well, so why, 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 is, why is Hong Kong the ultimate? Is it longer, because more we challenging? <laughs> we, have, we have the most hills. We have 20, uh, over 23 hills that you go, go up and down. The, the total elevation is over 4,000 meters. Uh, compared to the trail walkers in other countries, uh, we are considered really tough. Can you but but the, all, all the trail walkers are uh, operated by Oxfam, or are they not? Uh, that's right. They are all, they are all operated by Oxfam. And you mentioned the uh, teams from the mainland and overseas. You, you, you've been involved in uh, Trail Walker for so many years. How is that changed? Are, are there more teams? Particularly, I imagine there are more teams from the mainland now than in the past. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, we are, we are getting some reputation in China. Uh, uh, we, have, we have not actually started our promotions, uh, but uh, a lot of people are curious about Trail Walker. And, and of course, on the weekends, you actually see a lot of uh, mainland Chinese uh, hikers around Saikong. So I think they've heard of it and they come over, come over and try it out. You're, you're saying you're not actually even actively promoting trail walking in China, but you still get, uh, you're saying, what, 50 teams? Yeah, is it 50 so teams that is maybe? one of our ideas, actually. Okay, if there's uh, already latent potential, then uh, why not take advantage of that? <laughs> so so it's what uh, we are looking at expanding trail walking in all different ways and uh, to make it an even bigger event for Hong Kong because it's so iconic. And, and we, of course, want to raise more money to, for poverty right. alleviation. As well. so, 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 Michael Wong, uh, what, what is the, uh, who's the record holder uh, for the 100 kilometers uh, uh, walk? Is yeah, it, was that, it 12 hours or 11 hours? I can't remember. Uh, it was uh, 10 hours, 57 minutes. Wow. That was set in 2013 by a team called Columbia. Uh, Columbia. And, and yeah. not the former Gurkhas. Uh, no, they're, they're even faster than Gurkhas. <laughs> but you do have Gurkhas teams this year? Um, we have not seen them yet. Um, 
uh, we'll know when uh, because of uh, the names that they register under. We don't see the Gurkhas. Okay. So, but we might see them unregistered under other names. Okay, we'll have to draw it to a close, but good luck with Joe Trail Walker. That's uh, Michael Wong, who's Director of Fundraising and Communications at Oxfam Hong Kong. Uh, Joe Walker kicks off on Friday. Uh, that's, that's all for today. Uh, thank you very much, um, Ada. Um, Jenny and, um, and Janice will be here for tomorrow for uh, Back Chat, so uh, join us then for Back Chat. Thank you.